Hello, and welcome to the League of Josh podcast. My name is Joshua. I'm the orchestrator of all of this, and I'm fortunate enough to make up about 49% of these conversations. Today, I was very fortunate to have a discussion with a friend of mine named Sarah Morgan Cowger. Sarah is just completing her bachelor at Thompson Rivers University, where she's majoring in psychology. During her time there, Sarah Spare spent a significant amount of time with the Thompson Rivers University Wellness Center. At the Wellness Center, she's become a advocate and a bastion for those who have experienced adverse mental health and life circumstances. She looks to continue this going forward, being a safe space for all those who need help and would like to better themselves. Both during and after my conversation with Sarah, I was contemplating a Japanese philosophical and artistic form, which is called Kintsugi. And after our, after our talk, I, I wrote a little bit about it. And I would like to, to start our conversation off with what I wrote so that maybe it can add a little bit to the conversation. The Japanese art of Kintsugi is a physical means to demonstrate our transcendent journey inwards. If a pot is broken, the pieces are not garbage. They are pieces that empower us to make art. By using a golden glue, we can seal the crevasses between these parts. This is a tangible manifestation of our transformation from who we once were to who we could become. We will forever be intertwined with the goal we derive from our experiences, just as the pot is forever intertwined with its golden adhesive. We are not broken, so long as we strive to heal ourselves from ourselves and to be our best when our best is needed. Okay, we're, we're doing the thing. We're doing it live. Um, so hi, thanks for being on. Uh, really appreciate your time. Um, my, my goal today is to talk a lot about mental health and wellness, and you seem to be the perfect person to do that if you, as you've spent a, a bunch of time kind of researching it, and it's part of your, your post-secondary education. You've spent a bunch of time volunteering in the, the TRU Wellness Center, and that's kind of where I want to jump off with this one is what the history of the Wellness Center is, and not, not only in the, in the frame of TRU, but a wellness center in that are coming up more and more in other post-secondary institutions and now workplaces and kind of having a, a space that's dedicated to that, that wellness and mental health for the people that are partaking in that institution. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, and yeah, I think the idea of a wellness center is something that's really important to think about even in our daily walks of life. Um, so essentially the wellness center at TRU is a safe space for students to um, come during the middle of the day um, in between classes and hang out and have a cup of tea and it's just like a safe space for all individuals in many different walks of life. Um, and it's yeah a space to recharge and unwind and school can be quite busy. Um, so taking that break for yourself and really just kind of resetting for the day. Um, of course, this year has been quite different with um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and so we haven't been actually having like a physical space that students can join us in. So it's been a lot of virtual um, gatherings and different things. Um, so I think that's been a really interesting something to think about over the last little bit is that now it's taking wellness into our daily lives. And now that we don't have this center that 
um, we can all meet and gather in. It's thinking about how we can incorporate like our wellness practices every day. Um, and so, yeah, taking a break while you're doing school online and um, relaxing and taking a deep breath and getting up and walking right away from your computer um, is really important because we don't have that physical space to go to in the middle of our days. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, I know that there were a few schools that went to pass fail at the end of the at the end of the winter semester last year when COVID first hit because their rationale behind that was that so many people used schools as a as a place to kind of have the opportunity to be away from the noise of family and it, it for a lot of people it was a safe space so and not exactly. necessarily in the way of um, like a safe space from a, from other opinions and, and such that's kind of happening to institutions for some reason but just yeah. a safe space in the sense of you can go there and you can go and sit down and plug in your headphones and there won't be a bunch of noise there won't be people disturbing you there won't be mm -hmm. kids or family running around so that's definitely yeah. a, a loss over the past year yeah i think yeah just like you said to not being able to go to um the actual university campus and then meet with individuals who are like-minded um yeah, I think it really does take a toll on mental health and not being able to separate yourself from your home life, especially for individuals who might not have a safe or accepting home life. Um, and so, yeah, that's quite difficult to not be able to go to school and meet with other people. And especially in the wellness center too, it's a place to maybe like read a book or play a game and you can meet new people and maybe individuals that you might not normally meet in your everyday classes. Um, so different people from, again, different walks of life or different disciplines. Um, and so we're missing out on that, I think, with um, online school right now and not being able to connect with other people and that, yeah, exactly, it takes a toll. Mm -hmm. and, and the wellness center is mutually exclusive from the, the counseling and the therapy at TRU, mm -hmm. is that right? Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, um a little bit separate um but definitely people can come to us and then a lot of us like myself i have been to counseling at tru i think i've been going since my third year so two years now or two three years um and so yeah students can come to us and talk to us about whatever they're dealing with and then we can kind of like encourage them to go to counseling um and let them know our own experiences so it definitely it bridges the gap and that's something that i have kind of learned in my own walk of life with mental health is that it's very important to be transparent when it's safe to be so transparent with like my friends and my peers about my own struggles with mental health because then i can kind of bridge that gap between um, the people that I'm close to and going to counseling and that it's safe to go to counseling and it might take a little bit to find the counselor that's the best fit for you but um, it's important to talk to someone totally separate about what you're dealing with. And what do you mean by um, I think the the wording was finding a time safe for you to talk about things. I think that's a really important subject. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I think like there's so many things that go on in everybody's lives and everyone has a different 
walk of life and different things that they're dealing with. Um, and so taking that time to really sit down with someone totally separate from your life in counseling um, and unpack the things that you're going through to an individual that's not biased towards you and might have a lot of really good coping techniques for you um, to carve out that time in your week or every second week or every third week even um, to just kind of sit down and really reflect on where you are at. Um, and I find it like, it's obviously very therapeutic. Like that's what it is. It's therapy. Um, and it can be really tough to go, but definitely you take that time, that hour out of your week to just kind of sit with whatever you're dealing with. And it could be anything, right? Like anybody who is dealing with something that hinders their everyday life should go to counseling. So that might be even, um, I deal a lot with anxiety. So anxiety to not leave my room and anxiety to maybe not go out in public or even go for a walk. Um, that is something that hinders my everyday activities. So that's something that I probably should unpack with a counselor. Um, and it could be as minor as, yeah, not being able to leave your house to um, bigger things that might have happened. Um, so yeah, I think counseling has definitely been a very important part of my university career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went to, I started to go to, to therapy after my, during, at the beginning of my fourth year, my coach had recommended it for a few years she really pushed me to to get into it and I kind of waved him off waved him off waved him off because I thought that it was something that um that you you needed to do if you were broken in a in a severely obvious way I guess yeah. and and over time I, I kind of realized that uh maybe I wasn't apparently broken to myself because I had been around myself for so long but there was a lot of stuff that I had to work through and so Mm -hmm. I finally took it as his advice and was was all the better for it and so I, I really enjoyed that mm -hmm. and I, I think that's the biggest um, hurdle for people going to counseling like you said um, you think that you have to have gone through this major thing and really it could be anything like I think we all almost almost all of us I think kind of belittle our own circumstances Whereas if you were talking to a friend, like your coach probably has a totally different walk of life than you, but they recognize something in you that you would probably benefit from counseling. Um, and so you would say to your friend, like, this is an important thing. I think you should go and maybe check out this, maybe try counseling and see if it's a good fit for you. Um, whereas you don't really identify that in yourself because we tend to, well, someone has it harder than me and I don't really have it that hard. Like I can it'll be fine when really um, we need to take that kind of accountability almost to be proactive in our own mental health and understand that like your struggles are totally valid regardless of what they are. Like someone might have a harder circumstance than you, but someone might have not as hard of a circumstance from you. But something that I've learned is whatever you are dealing with is probably the hardest that you've ever had to deal with. And that is important to understand in yourself. So there's, yeah, difficulties that everyone faces, but what you're dealing with is totally valid to go and see someone. Mm -hmm. How, so, so I, I have kind of two thoughts that have been lingering a little bit. One of them is that I, I've known a lot of people who have, fortunately enough for me, I 
met a counselor that I really enjoyed. Our philosophies kind of lined up and we clicked right away. But I know lots of people that'll go to a therapist once and or go to a counselor once and they don't drive with their therapist, then they'll never mm-hmm. go again. And how do you uh how do you stay resilient to that maybe one time negative experience and then continue to go back and see other therapists and try other people out? Yeah. So this is I think, yeah, it's this is quite difficult for people to go to counseling because usually the first person that you see is not going to be the best fit for you or they might be right um and so that was kind of my experience i went to one counselor i think in first year and it was not a good fit for me and all the things this counselor was saying to me i was like that does not um make sense or that is not actually my situation i think they might have been misunderstanding Um, where I was coming from. And then again, a few years later, before I really had identified my anxiety as anxiety, that it was something that I needed help with, um, I went to see another counselor. And again, I, it wasn't a good fit for me. And the things that they were saying almost kind of took away from my experiences. But I know people who have really enjoyed both of these two counselors that didn't fit for me. Um, and then I ended up going to another person who was a good fit. Um, that was also, that was recommended to me by a friend. Um, and I went to this third counselor and they were a perfect fit for a few years. And so I think it's just understanding, especially at a place like TRU or probably lots of different counseling offices, they might have similar philosophies, but there is different counselors out there for different people. And I think it's, it is quite difficult to look for the one that fits you the best, um, but it's kind of the part of the process. And the two counselors that I went to see that weren't a good fit for me, there are still things that the one counselor said to me that stick with me um, in a way that are really beneficial. So it wasn't a long-term fit, but there are different practices. um, And what am I trying to say here? Like different ways of coping that I, it didn't fit for me in the time, but I still remember the things that this counselor had said to me um, that I do find useful to this day. So long-term it wasn't a fit, but there are still um, the little silver linings of things that you can kind of take. Um, And I think that's another really great thing too, is you might find a counselor that's the best fit for you, um, but you might not always have a good session with them. Like sometimes you might really jive with your counselor and it really fits um, and you feel really good. But then other times you might leave the session being like, I don't really think that person understood what I was like getting at, or I don't think they really, maybe the counselor um, gave you some advice or not advice, like they don't give advice, but they give you techniques to apply to your life. Um, And maybe they gave you a technique and you're like, I really don't think that's going to fit for me. Um, I can't apply that to my everyday life. Um, And then you might leave even a counseling session with someone that you really feel comfortable with. And it just, it didn't click that time. And that's totally okay too. So I think it's definitely like pursuing a friendship almost, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not a friendship with your counselor, but it's like you hang out with a friend one time and you're like, oh, this person's like kind of cool. Like I like what they're about. And then... Or maybe you hang out with someone and you're like, oh, I don't really, I don't think this person's like a good fit for me. Like, 
I can't see us being friends more than acquaintances that I say hi to in the grocery store kind of thing. And that's totally like fine. Like there's people in life that we fit with and there's people in life with that we don't. And you can also grow in and out of counselors too. Like I was seeing a counselor for a while who was the one that I really enjoyed. And I was dealing with something in my life that this counselor was a good fit to help me work through. Um, and obviously like this stuff still comes up for me every day. The things that I went to this counselor for aren't completely resolved, but then I was in a different phase of my life and I didn't feel like this counselor was a good fit for me. And I wanted to see someone else and see what they had to say about my circumstance. And so I switched counselors Mm -hmm. and then I learned totally different new perspectives because each counselor has something different to bring to the table. Right. So I think you're not stuck with one person. Um, and like I said, too, it's kind of like finding your friends or finding someone to pursue in a relationship. You kind of have to just feel out the waters of it and kind of decide who seems to be a good fit and then try them out for a little bit. And if it doesn't work, then you totally can switch to someone else. But I think, yeah, it's really hard to not get discouraged during that time. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it definitely seems like something that you have to persevere through a little bit before you're able to find someone that really fits. Just like you said, in any relationship, friendship, you're not going to become best friends with the, the first person you meet every time you meet them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, a, that's definitely something for people to think about. And the other thought that I had percolating was how, how do you maybe recommend to a friend to, to see a counselor if, if you believe that it would potentially help them, but they're a little bit resilient and not, I, I don't mean in the sense of pushing them to go and see a counselor and kind of having an intervention and telling them they have to go and see a counselor, but maybe a, maybe a friendly way of telling them that a counselor might be good for them without maybe implying that they have some serious psychological <laughs> Exactly. Um, I think, again, this is like, anything and I learned this from so you can lead a a horse to water but you can't make it drink Mm -hmm. um and I think that's really important to think about and I learned this a while ago too um in my walk with faith and you can plant seeds for people but you can't decide what they're going to do with that if they're going to grow the plant or maybe they're going to let it sit for a while um so you can kind of like encourage people and share your own experiences but don't expect someone to totally take your word on it and go for it right away so like with that analogy there you can give someone seeds to for a plant and they might put it in a shelf and forget about it or they might go ahead and plant it right away or they might plant it and then not necessarily water it every day Um, or they could totally forget about it and then come back to it and maybe plant some more seeds. Um, So really it's about kind of giving seeds to people and being like, kind of start them thinking about something that might be beneficial for them. So I think that's like I was saying at the beginning um, of this recording that I tend to share my own experiences with the people that I feel safe with and the people that I'm comfortable with to be like, this has really benefited me in this way. And I've had friends like over my university career that I've like shared 
um, and you don't even have to be transparent about like sharing what you talk about with your counselor. It's simple as like, oh, I have a counseling appointment today, or I can't meet with you during that time because I have counseling. So then later, if that person feels like they are interested in counseling and they're not really sure where to start, then they know, oh, I remember that Sarah goes to counseling. I should ask her about her experiences or what counselors to go to, et cetera, right? So it's kind of just like giving those seats to people to kind of start them to think about it on their own um, because it's very difficult. It's like anything, right? Like you can't just shove things down people's throats and be like, this is really important. You need to do it. Everyone needs to do it. Um, I think being transparent with people about your own life um, allows them to know that this is something that my peers are doing. And then when they come to it on their own terms, um, they know that you're a safe place of someone who's also experiencing going to counseling. Um, and they can kind of do it on their own time, essentially. Yeah, I, I think you make a really good point about sharing your own experience with people and, and kind of in that sense, you're, you're normalizing the, the conversation about wellness and mental health. And I think that was something that influenced me into pursuing therapy was that my, like I said, my coach was someone that I look up to. And upon his recommendation, I, I thought more and more, well, if he can, he's such a, he's a, he's a great dad. He's a great coach. He's a, he's a great man. And so that pushed me into feeling more normal about it and feeling mm -hmm. less as though I was something broken and more that I was something that could, could be repaired. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. So it's, yeah, starting to kind of plant those seeds for people. And then when they want to come to it, um, then they can do it on their own time. Mm -hmm. And what was the thing that, that led to, to your research and enthusiasm and passion into the area of wellness and mental health? I think the biggest thing is understanding that everybody, like I've said numerous times, has a different walk of life. Um, and you really do not know what someone is dealing with behind closed doors. And there are times, like in my own life, where I'll be dealing with something and my close circle knows, but I might be withdrawn from other people and other people don't really know. Or I've also had friends as well, too, who go through periods of different things in life um, and they also become more withdrawn. And you kind of know that like something is going on, but people aren't going to be super transparent about everything they're dealing with, right? Um, and I think the biggest thing is like, we're all kind of navigating through life as best as we can. Um, and there are going to be things that hinder people individually. And I think that there's so much to life worth living that it's it's really heartbreaking to know that there are things out there that people are dealing with by themselves um and i think definitely like that's something that makes me really passionate about this area of work and wellness and i don't know what i'm going to do after my psychology degree but i know it's going to be in some sort of area of helping other people um and individuals because everyone's dealing with something behind closed doors um alone and i don't think that 
anyone should have to deal with anything by themselves. Um, and again, too, like we talked about at the beginning, there's people who don't have that safe space to go to of the university campus anymore or the wellness center or maybe the multi-faith chaplaincy. Like we don't have these resources available, I guess, like in person anymore. Um, so I think that's been something really highlighted through this pandemic of like bridging the gap for people and encouraging others that there is support out there and just kind of, yeah, I think there's just a lot of things that people are dealing with that they don't know that there's something out there for them um, to, yeah, feel better about themselves in any way. So that could be like anything struggling with um, mental health and anxiety, um, individuals in the LGBTQ plus community, individuals struggling with addictions, um, anything really, people struggling with their own faith um, and not having this kind of safe space to explore it um, because wellness encompasses every single one of those things, right? Um, and yeah, kind of looking at ways that we can break down barriers for individuals to feel more comfortable at accessing resources, making resources more available for people and making them more normal. Like mm -hmm. I said, it's as easy as just being like, I, um, I have counseling at this time, like I can't meet with you or um, I carry around a naloxone kit because it's a part of harm reduction. Um, and just kind of sharing that sort of things with people or being transparent about um, being an ally for individuals in the LGBTQ plus community so that my wellness practices are being um, carried out through the rest of my life so that we can be safe spaces for other people when it is again their time to um, maybe start unpacking the things that they are dealing with themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, I'm I'm wondering what you, so because I'm someone that withdraws very heavily when I'm <laughs> when I'm dealing with things, and and I actually enjoy that quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, so I'm wondering if there's maybe a, a a way that you've found that is helpful in setting boundaries so that maybe people don't consistently check up on you and see if you're okay. Because I'm someone that, like I said, if something happens to me, I I normally shrink down to a group of maybe my family and a few mm -hmm. friends that I, I end up talking to every single day. And, and like right now I, I talk to my friend Randy literally every day. We have a phone, we have a two or three hour phone call every day. And, mm -hmm. and we just talk about books and life and kind of the things that we're going through and, and, and how, how we're, how we're growing because I think that's a big part of kind of dipping down into that, that state of, of withdrawing is that you're, you're preparing yourself to grow a little bit more maybe. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'm wondering if there are any, how, how do you set boundaries around, around yourself and around other people to let them know that you're okay? Because that's something that I have to do is make sure that my friends that aren't within that inner circle do know that I'm okay. And so that they're not constantly budging in thinking that I'm maybe in a, in a very dire state of mental health. Right. And, and allowing them to to still be within my circle, but not in the immediate circle, especially when I'm going through the a bit of a of a growth session, I would call it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's a really important thing that you bring up. Um, just in that, yeah, we, we do need these periods of growth, right? And sometimes you have to dip into the, these low lows to come out stronger than you were before with a better understanding of yourself um, as an individual. And so I think, again, it's like you said, having your small core group of people and sharing. So like for myself, I have my family and my partner and a best friend that I talk to every day. And then um, those are my people that I'm very transparent with. And I'm someone who I close down and I might not leave my room as much, but I'm very transparent still with those individuals. Um, so again, it's allowing for your close circle to know exactly what you're dealing with, but the outside rest of pe the rest of the people don't need to know. Um, and so say you have like your core group of people, um, like you and I both described, but then you have kind of this like outer sphere of maybe closer friends who you don't speak to every day or acquaintances and whatnot. Um, and it's okay to set boundaries and be like, I, am really not doing well right now or I I can't make it to this whatever so like I can't make it to this zoom friend hangout tonight because I am dealing with stuff and I think that is again something that is slowly becoming more normal to be like I am not okay um, and people don't need to know are you physically ill are you dealing with something in regards to your mental health? Are you super anxious right now? Are you going through a depressive episode? Um, and just sharing with those individuals, like I am not okay right now, but allowing for your core safe people, and it doesn't even have to be as many people as we described, like having one individual know, like I am not doing really well right now. And it could even be like your roommates, the people that you live with to kind of check in on you. Um, but the rest of the people don't really need to understand until you've come out of that growth period and you're ready to share with everyone what you were experiencing. Um, so I think that kind of leads into something else as well. It's totally important to set boundaries with people um, and they don't need to know what you're going through as you're going through it. But again, for the rest of us um, on the outside. So for myself, I have certain relationships with people where one of my really close friends, I know when they're dealing with something, um, just by the way that they're more withdrawn, um, their responses to messages, but we have the rapport where I can check in on this individual and be like, hey, how are you doing today? Like, did you eat something? Did you go for a walk? Like, how are you doing? Um, and they can be very transparent. So again, when that individual is maybe ready to share what they're going through, or maybe if they need encouragement because they um, need more help, then I'm that safe person that they can come to. Um, so I think, again, it's building rapport with your core individuals, but also respecting people's boundaries. So again, I know not to check in on this individual every single day, every second, micromanaging how they're doing, but every couple days, send a message. Um, and see how they're doing, but that's the rapport I've built with them. Um, so yeah, it's really kind of checking in on your people, um, but also respecting their boundaries as well. So if someone doesn't reply to your message, unless there's real cause to be concerned, um, 
like say that person always messages you back at a certain time and they haven't messaged you. Um, definitely, but also respecting other people's boundaries. Um, especially during this time, like you don't know someone's dealing with. So allowing for your people to know that you're there for them um, and they can come to you on their own time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I had a, an experience with that recently where a friend was dealing with some stuff and we were supposed to have a conversation and, and they ended up canceling. And, mm -hmm. and it, it's tough because a lot of the time you want to constantly be there for your friends. And so it's, it's a little bit more difficult to, to take a step back than it would be to, to go forward mm -hmm. with them. And it, it's kind of um, understanding what, what's better for them and not better for you. I think that's an interesting part of it. Mm -hmm. And not managing other people's walks of life and their journey with their own wellness and mental health. It's just being there for those individuals because then I know with my group of people, when I'm going through something, I can go to them. Um, and I understand that not everybody is in those same circumstances to have those core safe people that they can talk to about anything and feel safe about it like a lot of people don't have family members who they can share their deepest darkest feelings with um and know that it's safe and confidential so again that leads back to um counseling and speaking to someone totally outside of your circle um, and sharing these things but definitely it is really helpful to yeah have your close friend that you have rapport with and you can kind of understand what you're dealing with. Like my one friend and I, we joke that we just take turns having meltdowns. And so then we'll just go back and forth, but that's the rapport we built in our relationship over years of time, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of also too, I think something that's really important is asking people if they have space for you to share something that you're dealing with. So I did this the other day. I was dealing with something and I messaged my best friend and I was like, I am dealing with, and then I shared kind of the broad topic of it. Do you have space for me to share? Because then if that individual doesn't have space for, maybe they're also dealing with something in regards to that topic and the things that you're dealing with might be very triggering to them um, to be like, do you have space for this? Like I'm dealing with this. Um, and if they say yes, then you're asking for their consent about that topic and then you're free to share. And then that allows them to set up a boundary for themselves because it's easier for someone to set up a boundary when you ask them and you ask for their consent instead of just spilling out everything that you're dealing with because they might not have space for you and they might not have space for you that day, but they might have space for you another day. Um, so it's definitely allowing people to set their own boundaries in regards to um, what it is that you're dealing with as well. And then once you build that, so if I ask someone if they need space, then they're already kind of thinking about, okay, maybe if some, this happens or I have something that I need to talk about with someone, then they can come to me and be like, do you have space with me? So it's kind of setting that domino effect of asking people for consent um, before you share topics that might be triggering to individuals. Mm -hmm. And as someone that's hyper agreeable, how, how do you say no to that kind of stuff? That's, that's a very, that tends to be a very difficult situation to be in. Uh, I often found myself as the team psychologist for lots of groups that I've been in. And so mm -hmm. 
so yeah, you're totally right. It often gets very draining and it's, it's really tough to, to consistently be at a low battery and have people pour into to you maybe, or they're not necessarily pouring into your glass of, of happiness and joy, but they they might be pouring in and just venting about stuff. And it's sometimes it's difficult to, to continuously experience that. Mm-hmm. And so, so do you have any, any recommendations on how to say no to that? Oh, this is something that I'm working on too and saying no and allowing others to say no. So mm-hmm. like I said, if you start asking people, do you have space for me? Then they're allowed to say no. And I think it is very difficult to, say no to people especially when we really care about um, our individuals and I think in my friend group for example this has been something that over the past couple of years we've all really been working on in our own individual walks but saying no and allowing the other person to say no and not being upset about it so if someone cancels on a social event not being upset because they didn't have space um they didn't have the capacity for it. So it's like, it's totally okay. Or if someone comes to you with an issue, um, allowing for them to say no to you, um, kind of makes it a little bit easier to say no to other people. And then I think once you build that rapport with your individuals of, you can say no to each other, it makes it easier, but it's a little bit difficult when it's, um, someone who might not be in that close circle for example my one close friend um once i asked them for help packing and i was moving and i was like would you be able to help me pack and this person saying no is something that they were working on at the time and my friend said no to me and i was like you just like you just said no to me and i was like thank you for like honoring your own boundaries um and saying no because you either they didn't have time in their day or they didn't have the space for it um or they just didn't have the mental capacity to join me that day to help me pack um and so i think it's allowing for like to get kind of really excited over those wins with your people um and again honoring individuals boundaries um so that day i was like very proud of my friend for saying no to me even though i really needed help packing but they had said no to me and i was like this is a personal win for you like that's so good um so i think yeah definitely like as individuals we need to honor other people's boundaries and then hopefully that could be helped in return and i think too having resources on hand like I am not able to hear what you're dealing with today because I have my plate is already full um but here are resources that you can refer to um and I mean there's definitely circumstances where regardless about how full your plate is if it's life or death right like dropping everything for your like your people Um, so I think this conversation is not really about that, but it's about like the everyday kind of things of, I don't have space for this, or it could be anything, right? But definitely life or death things, like absolutely. Um, I wouldn't be like, oh, my plate's full today. I'm really anxious. Like if someone's dealing with something and they need whatever, um, at that moment, definitely. Um, but again, it's 
honoring your own boundaries and saying no, and then hoping that the other people honor the back. Um, and like I said too, like allowing other people to say no to you because then you kind of build that rapport because if someone is safe to say no to you, then they would feel like you're safe to say no to them, if that makes sense. So yeah, absolutely. But I definitely think there's people that often take from our cup and you know that you don't have the rapport to go back to them. And if you need to vent about something, um, you don't have that kind of two-way relationship. And those I think are friendships that we need to reevaluate. Um, like I have my set group of people where I know I could go to them with every, like anything um, if they have the space for me and that they could do the same to me. Um, and it's kind of evaluating your circle and making sure that you know that anyone could come to you with anything or you could go to anyone in your circle for, with anything. And how do you address those relationships? I don't know, it's super difficult. Mm -hmm. I think over time too, especially with the pandemic, um, it's made it, especially in my own life, very apparent who my people are. Like the people that I reach out to on a weekly basis, that is my my core group of people. And then I all, like, of course, like, like anyone, we have acquaintances on the outside um, that I would say hi to in the grocery store or I would check in with on social media or whatever, but they're not my core individuals. And this is something that I have been very lucky with in university, that all of my people, um, we've all been really great to each other about that. Um, but I have had friendships in the past where it's like, I don't feel like this is a two-way relationship. And then it's maybe not necessarily the hard friendship breakup, but it's slowly starting to distance yourself from individuals who um aren't there for you as much as you are for them i guess mm -hmm. and because i think it's really difficult in those times when it's not really an event of hey do you have space for this and then you say no um that's really that's easier but i think when it's kind of over time of i feel like this person is constantly taking from my cup and they don't have room for me to share what i'm going through with them um just kind of distancing um, just over time and maybe not, yeah, going to them with as many things and just kind of slowly weeding them out. But I think it is really difficult to do, but it's something that like I've had to learn over the course of becoming a young adult, that not all friendships are meant to last forever. And you might have different friends for different things, right? Um, like we both have our core groups of people who we can go to with anything, but then you might have friends where you go to a party with or friends that you like to go on walks and chats with, but you wouldn't necessarily um, bring them into your home or hang out with them all the time. Or like we have friends for different things. Um, it's kind of, yeah, I think this was a really difficult, difficult topic to address, but I think it just comes with time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the the natural selection of friendship. You just mm -hmm. have friendships that slowly erode away over time because you're not you're not giving back to each other in the same way, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. The natural selection of friendships. Like Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very Darwinian. Yeah. Um what are what are some means that you've 
what, what are some tools and, and, and ways that you've come to address your own mental health over time and recognizing maybe, maybe when, when your own cup is not full and when you need to take time and different, different tips. Uh, I know that there's a meditation room at TRU that it was kind of my, my getaway place when I was taking a bunch of classes and doing a lot of stuff. So that was, that was a, a big thing for me was meditation and that form of escape. And, and I'm wondering if there are any things that maybe the wellness center recommends or that you've found throughout your psychology degree that have helped for you. Yeah, I think I am envious of people who are good at meditation. That's something that I find really difficult um, to just kind of sit down and like refocus. Um, so that hasn't necessarily been in my practice consistently. I wish it was. That's probably something I should start incorporating in actually. Um, but I think I know there's different cues that I've identified in my life when my mental health is starting to go and it's maybe not in the place that it should be. So for example, I'm really bad at like cleanliness. Um, so my dishes don't get done as often or my bedroom isn't as clean as it is. And then I, that's when I kind of know I'm not doing well because these things kind of, my organization kind of starts declining. Um, so those are my kind of cues. So I think really getting back to like organizing my space has been a really big one. So keeping things decluttered. I'm even looking around now, like it's not, <laughs> it's not in perfect condition right now. Um, but kind of reevaluating your space and what's taking up your space because things, um, if there's clutter in your physical space, there will be clutter in your mind. Um, so something that I've really started practicing over this pandemic is cleaning my room before I go to bed and making sure my dishes are done either that night or I do them in the morning. Um, and so kind of organizing those things in my physical surroundings has really been big for me. Um, and then again, in the last little bit, I have been really working on my bedtime routine um, and scheduling that time to go to sleep. So lately I've been in bed at 9.30 and that's like my strict um, bedtime. And then I can fall asleep like around 10.30. Yeah, you. I've been trying to be very strict about it, but usually I would procrastinate my assignments and I would leave them to the last minute and then I'm doing them right before bed and then I fall asleep while I'm doing things. Um, so like if I'm working on an assignment, it's kind of like, okay, I only have an hour to finish this before it's like I need to go to bed. Um, so that's been something that's really only been in the last month for me of carving out that time of this is my time to unwind and maybe reading a book or calling my partner. So then I crawl into bed, my space is clean. Like I turn off my happy light and then you're just kind of like unwinding for the day. So then in the morning you wake up and you feel totally refreshed. Um, and that's been something that has been major, a small switch in my wellness routine that has been pretty major for my mental health. So again, the first thing that, that go for me um, is my organization. So really trying to keep that in check so I think it's kind of understanding too what goes for you when you're not in a good place um, and then incorporating practices to combat that when you are in a better place. So when they start to go, you're easier, like it's a little bit easier to kind of like catch it mm -hmm. um, and then understand like 
okay, maybe it's time to see a counselor again. Like things aren't like I'm starting to get a little bit stressed out or whatever. And same for you probably too, like um, taking that time to meditate is super important. Um, and then if you probably don't take that time, then you're a little bit off and then you know that things are off and it doesn't feel right. And then it's kind of like, okay, this, I know this makes me feel better. And then getting back into that routine. Um, but really the biggest thing that we talk about in the wellness center is routine and sleep, um, exercise. And something that I've really worked with my counselor on is that you're supposed to exercise for your heart and your mind um, and your mental health and not to see physical changes in your body. So that's a whole other walk of, a walk of um, changes that I've had to deal with in my life. Um, and that's been a big game changer for me this past year during the pandemic is I need to exercise because it'll make my mind happier and then I'll release all the happy hormones. Um, and so exercise, sleep, eating habits, um, cooking nutritious meals for yourself, whatever that looks like is really important because we need to feed our bodies to feed our minds. Um, so kind of, yeah, finding your thing that you enjoy. And right now for me, it's my bedtime routine um and kind of slowly incorporating changes into those things to make you feel better that's a really good really good point i think you just made was finding the things that you enjoy doing that improve your life mm -hmm. and then building on those with other things because yeah i'm i'm very similar with my room and kind of my space when i when i realize that it's getting a little bit messy and dirty it's it's something that i know that i need to address or i'll start to tailspin mm -hmm. and and i can even i can feel i'm i think i'm very aware of my my arousal at most of the day and kind of how much i'm breathing how mm -hmm. i feel whether i feel anxious whether i feel like some some sense of joy maybe and so i definitely find that i'm more anxious when i'm checking social media a lot particularly views on a video or i'm or my room is is messy and starting to get messy so i think that you make a really good point about finding the things that are maybe number one enjoyable or maybe number one easy and number two enjoyable so mm -hmm. i think a lot of the a lot of wellness and mental health discussions are being boiled down to these very core elements that everyone can come to and then kind of branch out from there so things things such as drinking however much water per day yeah eating however much nutritious food per day cleaning your room having a good bedtime schedule and there are all of these things that like they're really getting boiled down to you don't need to you don't need to start off running 10 miles mm -hmm. you don't need to start off having your entire house completely cleaned on sundays just start off with something small local to you important to you that that makes you feel the best maybe for some people it's not their room maybe for some yeah. people it's i need to my room can be a total sty but as long as i'm cooking my my nutritious meal every day then i feel really good and then from there, you can start to incorporate those things that are a little bit outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important too. Like it can be something that's enjoyable for you, but I also think that um, it's not always enjoyable at the beginning. So we talk a lot about too, self-care is not always, um, and I did a presentation with one of my friends on this about self-care is not always bubble baths. 
Um, so we think about the media portrays self-care to be like bubble baths and face masks and going to the spa and doing all these other things. But self-care is like all of that stuff that you listed, like maybe taking a break from social media, sleeping more, like making a nice meal, um, going for a walk, meeting up with a pal, calling someone you haven't talked to in a while. Um, and a lot of these things can be really uncomfortable. So like I said, my... One thing that my counselor said to me at the beginning of this year was I need to be spending less time in bed. And so sitting at my desk or sitting in a chair when I watch TV and exercising more. And at the beginning, this was really difficult because I kind of had built my routine um, around like doing my homework in my bed or watching TV in my bed or whatever, and then not necessarily exercising. So it it is really uncomfortable to start doing these things. Um, and like I said, too, with my bedtime routine, like it is uncomfortable to, if I go to bed at like 1030, then I have to wake up at 630 because then that's my eight hours of sleep. Um, and those 630 mornings are uncomfortable for the first little bit and they're not good, but I've noticed a major switch in myself that it is uncomfortable at the beginning, but it does get better. Um, and now it's something that I enjoy. So I think these wellness things are not always going to feel the best at the beginning when we start doing them, but it will get better over time. And it's finding the thing that now you really enjoy for yourself. So I make my bedtime routines enjoyable by like having lights hanging around. Like I have Christmas lights hanging on my window and then I have like a lavender room spray that I spray on my bed. And then I can kind of like read my book and then it's the time of the day that I call my partner for good nights and we kind of take that time together we're long distance so we can't um see each other before bedtime and so it's kind of like unwinding for the day um and it's really uncomfortable when there's like oh I could be watching a show on tv or I could be doing this or that or playing on my computer but then in the morning when you feel so much better waking up um, it makes it that much worth it. So I think it's kind of finding those things that make these uncomfortable tasks, um, special and kind of fun. And then it makes it easier. Yeah. That was something that I, I tried to make apparent in my lecture was that, uh, expanding the sphere of order in, in your life is to incrementally introduce bouts of chaos. And then you're able to, to kind of incorporate that and integrate that into your, your sphere of order. So doing something that's a little bit uncomfortable outside of that, that sphere of order. And then as you do that more and more and more, then that gets more and more comfortable and that order grows. And, mm -hmm. and I think, I think people have a really difficult time with beds, especially in university where you have your room and in your room, you have your desk. It, it was something that happened to me was I got, I ended up being like last during the last quarantine, I got super isolated in my room and that was kind of the only place I could really hang out. And I had my, my desk and it was right beside my bed and I would end up doing a little bit of work and then, and You're then like, just go right there. And I would just go and take a nap. I was like, I'll mm -hmm. just go and take a nap. And then I, and then before I know it, I'm sleeping 16 hours a day. And before mm -hmm. I know it, I'm super anxious. And before I know it, I'm getting depressed. Yeah. And, and so I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with is having not having a space maybe to to do work and to separate this is the place where I sleep like mm -hmm. I think that I think over time uh, sleep hygiene a lot of that will be your bedroom should be completely dark at night 
-hmm. and you should only use your bed. You should only be in your bedroom, in your bed to sleep and have sex. Those should yeah. be the things that you use that for. And because you're, you're creating this, you'd say a Pavlovian condition response to your bed. You get into your bed, it, it means you're going to sleep. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's an excellent point there as well. And I think that's something that a lot of students are dealing with right now. Like for my example, myself, my desk is in my bedroom. Like you said, my bed is right there. Um, my Always roommate, kind of, yeah, it's like, it's right there. I'm just like, okay. And I think um, another thing to point out is like naps are really important, but it's kind of identifying if that's something that's a problem for you. So for myself, I can nap all the time, but then if I don't nap, um, then I go to bed easier. But then, then if I nap, then I have a harder time going to bed. And then it's like my whole routine is off. Um, and I think a lot of students are dealing with this right now too. Like I live with three other roommates. Um, so working in the kitchen or attending Zoom calls and classes is not feasible for me um, because someone might be cooking in the kitchen or doing whatever. So really the place that I have to work, which is totally fine, like I love being in my room, but it's making sure that you separate the two things. Um, and one small thing that I've been trying to work on, if you do have a hard time having a nap or maybe sitting on your bed to watch a show throughout the day or whatever, is to make sure that you're making your bed before you crawl into it to go to sleep so that your bed is neatly made um, and then it feels like you're crawling into a bed that you haven't been sitting in all day. Um, and it just, it makes that separation a little bit easier, even though you might've been there all day. Um, and then, yeah, washing your sheets all the time. So then it feels fresh. Um, and yeah, sleep hygiene is another really interesting one too, because like self-care sleep hygiene sounds like it should be that you're washed and ready to go to bed and your body is clean and the sheets are clean, but sleep hygiene refers to the overall experience of going to sleep. So again, separating that every day, the day um, and the night from your bed, um, making sure that your routine of when you go to sleep is relatively the same every day, that you have kind of those steps that you take, maybe washing your face and brushing your teeth, um, having a glass of water or a cup of tea, maybe listening to a podcast um, or anything to kind of unwind and making that routine really um, set in stone. And it can be really fun too. To kind of yeah do you mind if i break. ask I, I think you you checked off a few of them but do you mind if i ask what your sleep routine is i, I find the that whole area of circadian rhythm i find that really interesting so the last little bit and this has really only been the past couple of weeks where i'm like okay 9 30 i am getting ready for bed and crawling into bed so usually it's Wait, not what, sorry what was it before i, I want to do like a comparison oh, yeah Okay, so before really, oh, I'm really revealing a lot about myself here. I would be doing, so I'm a huge procrastinator. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do my best work procrastinating, but other times it's like doing assignments before they're due the next day, like that night and kind of putting them off until like the very last minute. So I'd be sitting in my bed working on something and it's like, okay, I'm not done this. I can't go to bed yet. And then you're pushing like 12 o'clock at night and it's like, okay, my assignment's not done. And then you just kind of shut the laptop to the side and then like just fall asleep in your bed. 
Um, that's so embarrassing. No one judge me, please. Um, I do it too. So now, okay. <laughs> I think, I think a lot of us do it like where it's, you're working on something and you're like, okay, this isn't going to get done. I'm just going to wake up really early and do it tomorrow morning before I have to hand it in. So now I'm being very, um, intentional with my time. So writing my list down of things I need to get done in the day. Um, and so for example, there's been a few times because I've really only been um, strict on my bedtime routine, like the past maybe month. Um, so it's kind of looking at the clock, like, okay, at 7.30, I have two hours until I need to go to bed or start getting ready for bed. Um, and it's kind of being like, okay. And I, my one toxic trait is I always put things off until the end and then they're not actually that hard to do. Um, and then it's totally fine. So it's kind of sitting down and being like, okay, I just need to get this assignment done. Um, and so being intentional about it and not sitting there procrastinating, scrolling through my phone, looking at Instagram, like maybe sometimes if I have something to do, I'll often call somebody um, to really procrastinate it because I'm like, oh, well, I'm in a conversation with my partner or my mom, like this is important right now. So kind of like sitting down and being like, I'm doing this right now and get it done. Um, so then when 930 rolls around, I can remake my bed. Um, so I guess like before I was really kind of on this kind of toxic, not very good routine. Um, and then I'd be putting things off until the morning. So then I'm not getting a good night's sleep because I'm stressed about this assignment that needs to be handed in before the deadline. Um, so now being more intentional with my time allows for me to really um, take that time for bedtime really. And so I'm not procrastinating as much, which has been really helpful um, for me as a person. So now I, before bed around like 9.30, I'll remake my bed, kind of like fluff the sheets and everything um and set it up nicely and then I'll turn off I have my happy light on so then I'll turn it off and then I'll usually turn off like um my room light especially if I'm still watching tv um because then it kind of just helps dim the lights um closing my curtains and then again turning on like the Christmas lights that I have around my window um and then again going and brushing my teeth washing my face um rehydrating yourself before bed usually that's a good thing to do like an hour or two before bed um so that you're not having to get up and interrupt your sleep to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night um and then usually i'll just like make a cup of tea and then i'll crawl into bed and then i have this lavender room spray that's really nice so then i like spray it all over my things um i'm just like looking at my bed like thinking about what i do mm -hmm. um and again too like before crawling into bed making sure that everything is organized for the next day. Um, and again, another thing that I've found to be super game changing is making a list of everything you need to get done the next day. So then as you're laying in your bed about to fall asleep, you're not sitting there thinking like, I have to do this tomorrow. I have to do that tomorrow. I can't forget I have to do this tomorrow. Um, this is coming up. Then it's just all out of your brain on a piece of paper, sitting at your desk, like ready for you. I'm really bad with keeping an agenda. So thinking about like the next day of what needs to happen um, usually comes out right when I'm about to fall asleep. And so just kind of like having it like down on a piece of paper um, kind of helps me separate tomorrow with falling asleep today. Um, and I found that to be really helpful. And then being strict again too about 
I'm going to sleep at 10.30, so I'm going to wake up tomorrow at 6.30, and then when the alarm clock goes off, being strict about waking up, because um, usually I'm a big alarm snoozer, and that's not good either, because then you end up being waking up with headaches because you've been listening to this alarm go off for hours, um, so it's kind of like, okay, the alarm's going off at this time, I'm going to wake up, and then I have a better day, and then I'm ready to do it again the next day, so it's kind of like getting back on that train of things, but, and yeah, and allowing yourself grace for when you're not totally on that routine. Like last night I was watching a show with my roommate, so I wasn't in my room at 9.30 to go to bed. Um, and then I had taken a nap yesterday, so I wasn't really ready to fall asleep yet. Um, so it's kind of allowing yourself to still go through the motions of that routine, but maybe reading a book for a little bit longer or, calling a friend, like I call my partner right before bed, um, just to kind of talk about the day. Um, and yeah, kind of, yeah, allowing yourself grace for when things do not go according to plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, one of my old roommates was a chronic snoozer. He mm -hmm. would, we'd have a 7 a.m. workout and we'd have to get up at six o'clock in the morning and he would set his alarm for 4.30 and snooze it for an hour and a half. Yeah. Every, every five minutes and mm -hmm. and I was uh fortunate enough to be in the room beside his so oh, no yeah he would he would wake me up all the time but I uh I have heard that if, if people do enjoy snoozing that if you set a snooze for an hour and a half before so that you can still complete another ultradian rhythm oh. so that you're still going through your sleep cycle I've heard that's a, a kind of good way to to still snooze but not be a chronic snoozer right yeah, that makes sense. I, I find that the social jet lag is a is a thing that I find really interesting. The because uh, a lot of time, if you have a job where you'll you have to wake up at seven in the morning every single day of the week, and then you get two days off, and those two days off you sleep until noon, and mm -hmm. and you're essentially totally you're throwing off your circadian rhythm a lot because because of how much you sleep in. So that's something that I try to practice is waking up at the same time every morning. I here in Phoenix, they don't, a lot of places don't have a lot of streetlights. So mm -hmm. it's, it's quite dark on the streets. So I sleep with my blinds pretty open. And right. so I, I wake up with the sun and then I go out. Uh, there was a, there was a really cool study where they showed that exposure to light within, it can, uh, it can phase. Oh, I might get this wrong exposure to light when you first wake up or as you're waking up can phase delay your circadian rhythm so it can actually set it backwards yeah. so if you have trouble waking up early and and you i don't know you have smart lights i have a i have a cool little alarm clock that progressively lights up my room oh. so it'll start off as really dark and then it'll get a little bit darker or a little bit lighter a little bit lighter a little bit lighter until it's and it's a it's an orange light that, that mimics the sun, mm -hmm. and so so I really like that, and so that's kind of a way that I've found to to start waking up earlier is to introduce light into my environment before I actually want to wake up so that I can phase delay my circadian rhythm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important to think about too, especially when we're in the winter when it's quite a bit darker until later in the morning mm -hmm. um and that's some people find it the most difficult to wake up early because there isn't that same natural light coming in through your window um 
So yeah, that's a really cool thing. I've heard about that, yeah, with happy lights and then your alarm clock slowly wakes you up with the light, which I think is really cool. Um, but yeah. And what is a happy light? You've, you've referred to that a few times. Referred. Right. So I, and it's sitting right here. I'm not going to show it on camera because that'd be super bright. Um, okay. But it's a very bright light um, mm -hmm. and it kind of mimics, I don't totally know a ton into the science about it, but I was born and raised up north. And so even in like Northern BC, so even in the winter when it'll be like minus 30, we still see the sun quite a bit. Um, so when I moved to Kamloops, my mom was like, okay, you need to get a happy light because it's warmer here, but it's still quite gloomy. Um, and there's often a lot of clouds and whatnot. So I got this happy light. Um, and it's basically just like a really bright light. Um, and I turn it on and it basically kind of, I think it does kind of something similar where it just, um, when it's not super light out or I'm in a basement room, so there's not a ton of natural light, um, turning this on. So then it kind of mimics that natural sunlight. Mm -hmm. Um, it's supposed to help for things like people with seasonal depression, um, and whatnot. And yeah, I don't know if it's totally helped, but my room is quite a bit darker. Um, so having it on all day does kind of help brighten my room up a little bit and then it I think it does help my mood or it might totally just be a placebo effect I'm not really sure but mm -hmm. I do enjoy the extra light especially in a basement room and when we don't get a ton of sun here in Kamloops in general yeah you're I, supposed to sit in front of them like 15 minutes a day or something but I just have mine on all day because my room's not super bright mm -hmm. yeah I normally end up having to take a bunch of vitamin d during the the winter mm -hmm. months yeah, I do too. It's yeah, that's an important one that I think we often miss, especially when it's colder out. So we're not really going outside to get the mm -hmm. natural light on us. I've heard that was a that was a really big proponent to to COVID deaths. I heard that, that too. Was mm -hmm. that people weren't getting enough vitamin D? I'm having a friend on next week who is a respiratory therapist. Oh. And so she's been she's been in the thick of things with COVID. So she's been yeah. at Vancouver General Hospital. So hopefully she'll um, be able to shed some light, pun intended, on the the vitamin D COVID situation. That would be cool. Yeah. I've heard it's supposed to be really helpful for your brain and memory. Um, so my family was like, okay, everyone needs to be taking their vitamin D even long before COVID. It was like, okay, like if you're not going outside all the time you need to be taking this. And then, yeah, I think there was like very primary research that people who ended up in the hospitals and were dying had lower um, amounts of vitamin D. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely like it's a good one to take. Like, I don't think there's any side effects. I would need to look into it if you take too much, but it's like anything. And I think that's another thing that's really important too in regards to mental health and anxiety is sometimes we can be experiencing things because of vitamin deficiencies and i don't know a ton in this topic but definitely um things like iron deficiency is really common in women um especially people who get periods because you're losing all this blood every month um and iron deficiency can cause um you to be really tired throughout the day um and then tiredness and sleeping a lot can cause depression mm -hmm. um so I think definitely too, like getting 
um, all of your levels checked and making sure that everything is good and you're getting enough in your diet and maybe through supplements um, and talking to a doctor about getting tested for those things is really important in regards to mental health too, because you might be deficient on something that um, you didn't even realize that could be causing, yeah, anxiety or depression. Mm -hmm. Especially with so many, I would call them diet fads. Mm -hmm. there, there are tons of diet fads that are going around that, that end up being somewhat detrimental, not, not only to physical health, but also to mental health. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even um, like people who don't eat a lot of meat um, definitely need to look into making sure they're supplementing properly and eating enough vegetables or other things. And for myself too, I, I do eat meat um, and even still my iron, I got it tested and is it, it's still lower. It's not on the lower end, but it's lower than ideal. Um, so that's something to definitely, yeah, keep in mind too, regardless of your diet and not, yeah, making sure that everything is up to date, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Check with your doctor. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, do you want to finish there? Sure. That was awesome. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. Cool. Thanks uh, for having me. Really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Here, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll stop this so that we can talk a little bit, but I'll stop the recording. All right, bye guys. Bye.